All right, guys. Thank you so much for making it here today. It's great to see you. Uh, just so you know, we never set up as many chairs as there are for the total number of guys. We're just always counting on a couple of guys not making it, so it's going to be tight. So I appreciate you uh, getting close and personal with one another. That's good. Um, remember, as you come in each time, we've got um, handouts for you. You'll see um, a paper-clipped set of papers. And with that, there will usually be a colored sheet in with it. Uh, today it's the blue. And that's how you know that's your homework. Your homework is always your colored uh, sheet that you'll have. So it'll be blue this time, a different color next time. And uh, so look for that. That'll always be right next to the attendance sheet. Just come in, check your name off there. And um, also in your uh, attachment today, or your handout on the back side of the, the, the last piece of paper is an updated small group list. You got a small group list last time. That one you got last time, just uh, put a mark through it so you don't confuse it with the new one you got. Because there, we have uh, more names on it. And uh, just want to make sure that you have all the names there. So you got a new small group list. Take the old one out, tear it up, fold it, put a mark on it so you don't confuse it with the new. Um, for any of you guys who are, this is a, a second time or a third time you're taking build. Um, if you have not gotten, there's a little extra supplement for you that you need. A, it's a new reading plan and it has this year's schedule in it. If you have not received that, you need to make sure that you get that. That's on the black card in the back as well, but it's on the second shelf down. You can grab that. That'll give you the, uh, the schedule for our Saturdays this year. Uh, let's see, what else? You know the rules. Uh, we'll repeat them again. Uh, it's family style. Uh, you cannot get up or down too much. Uh, you can't be a distraction. Just This is your living room. When you need to get up, you get up. And when you need something more to eat, you get up and you go get it. Or you send somebody else from your table to go get it because you're pinned in. Uh, you send whatever. Okay. Bathrooms are, are down that hall to your left as you go out the door and then take your first right and they'll be right there on your left and um, I think that's it for what you do every time when you come in uh, is anybody missing something from their notebook if you have not already talked to me I know there's a couple of you that need a, a, an ex, a few extra things yet but if you have not talked with me is there anything that you need that, that you haven't received yet that I can get for you that I can make a note of and make sure that you have it by October 6th alright if you think of something that you need, please don't hesitate to come tell me. Let me know that you're missing something from your, your notebook, okay? I want to make sure that you have what you need. All right, let's turn to, um, turn to Psalm 119. I want to take you to a couple of passages to um, put our hearts in the right place, Lord willing, this morning first, and then we'll uh, break for, talk some more about small group, or about what build is, and then we'll do small groups this morning. But Psalm 119, I want you to take a look at verse 2. Psalm 119, verse 2. Most people think that David wrote Psalm 119. Um, Psalm 119 does not say itself who wrote, wrote it. I think an interesting possibility is that actually Daniel wrote it. Um, I don't think I have a whole lot of support in that, though. But uh, that's okay. I can still hold my opinion humbly and be proven wrong 
And one day I'll ask David and Daniel. Um, but Psalm 119, verse 2. The psalmist says, How blessed are those who observe his testimonies. Uh, in Psalm 119, the, the psalmist uses a bunch of different words, a bunch of different synonyms for the word of God. Here he uses the word testimonies, right? And true spiritual happiness um, is found in, for the one who actually observes those testimonies. And that's not like observing birds like when you're bird watching. Get it? Observe means actually obey, that you would actually keep. And so true spiritual happiness is that you are observing God's word with the intent to obey it. That's what he says. Now notice what the second line says. How happy are those, let me describe them again for you, those who seek him with all their heart. So now he says true spiritual happiness is, is found in the one who's actually seeking God and doing so with all of his heart. All of his heart. Now what's interesting is in um, Hebrew, especially in poetry like this, you have um, parallelism. That means um, one statement is made, and then there's another statement that's made, and it's parallel to it. You can have reverse parallelism. How blessed is the man who this, but the, the wicked man who's this way. The same idea is being taught, but the, the thought's going in different directions. This is Hebrew parallelism where the same thing is being said twice. And notice what he says. Who's a happy man? It's the one who is observing God's word with the intent to obey it. Well, let me say it a different way. Same idea, but just said a little bit differently. It's the one who's seeking God with all his heart. What does this say? To seek God with all of your heart means that you're what? That you're going to be a man who's what? Going to God's word to obey it. So you come to God's word because you want God. You're seeking him, but the intent is not that you would just merely watch it or meditate on it. Got to do that. Want to meditate on God's word, but it's got to move to action. It has to move you to obedience. Obedience of God in his word. Now, let's, um, that, that's what a, a, a righteous Jew would have thought in his day. and It is what a righteous Jew thought in his day. Now let's go to the New Testament, and I want to show you what a disciple of Jesus should think, and that it's in the same trajectory. John 14, verse 21. You know this passage. Jesus is in his last night with his disciples, and um, he is speaking with them. John 13 to John 17 is, is the last night that Jesus had with his disciples before his death. And in John 14, 21, he says this, He who has my commandments and keeps them. Now that sounds like um, the first line of Psalm 119, verse 2. Uh, observing his testimonies with the intent to keep them. Now Jesus says, but, but now he's talking about you have my commandments. And by the way, no rabbi anywhere in all of Israel in the first century would say, you need to have my commandments. Every rabbi would point away from himself to the commandments of Moses or to the tradition of the Pharisees or whatever, but no rabbi in his day would say, my commandments. Right? We just, can we just make sure we got that clear, right? Jesus is, 
is speaking in a way way above and beyond any of the, the rabbis of his day. And the people knew that when he was speaking. They knew that this man teaches with authority. Okay, um, And he says, he who has my commandments and keeps them, that's the one who what? Loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my father and I will love him and will disclose myself to him. So here's the new idea in Jesus, which is the same old idea in the psalmist uh, that the psalmist had. You have his com- commandments in order to keep them. And what is that actually an expression of? That you love Jesus. The idea is, is uh, this is the only idea in God's mind. Here's my word. It reveals me. And I have my commands there. Um, God's only idea is come to this word to know me, to love me, um, to seek me, and to obey me. Um, there's no wedge driven between those two ideas in God's mind. Uh, that, it's easy for me to come to God's word and like the idea of meditating on it. And then postponing obedience. Postponing my observance of it. That, that comes easy for me, and, and if you're like me, you recognize that too. Uh, but what we need to be is, is men who understand uh, what God's word is for. That we come there to meditate on it, to meet with him, to express love for him. But true love for Jesus is expressed in its ultimate expression, which is obedience. But you can't get there without going through God's word first, right? So let's pray, and let's pray that that this morning would even be a a part of God helping us to understand that more, better, and uh, more completely, okay? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for uh, your word. Thank you for what it is um, in your mind. Um, It is the revelation of you. It reveals you. It reveals you as Father. It reveals you as the Son. It reveals you as the Holy Spirit. Three beings in one. Um, And Father, we desire um, from this new creature that you've made us into in the gospel, we desire now things that we never desired before. We desire you above all things. We want to know you. We want to seek you. We want to express love for you, enjoyment of you, fear of you. And so we, this morning, have gathered together to come before your word so that um, we might see more of you there. Your word is the clearest revelation of yourself anywhere that a man could find. Thank you for this supreme and special revelation from you of yourself. But God, I pray that you would make us into men who are not content to just come and meditate and contemplate and think and remind ourselves, but I I pray, Lord, that that would move itself into action, that it would move us into action, that that we would actually want to obey, that we would obey, that we would observe your testimonies. God, mark us out as unique men like that. That, That's the kind of man that um, our household needs to see, anywhere from roommates to brothers and sisters to moms and dads to sons and daughters to our wives, they need to see us being that kind of man that loves you and loves you in the obedience we display to you. Um, So God, please do a work in us that only you can do. Um, We are weak in this condition. We find um, that 
if we do not labor by your strength, we um, go downstream with sin. And so we pray for your strength and the fullness of your spirit in our lives that we might strive for you and for obedience and fight against sin. God, would you please use our time together this morning to make us stronger for that, more convinced and called in that. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, why don't you take your notebook and flip it over to the back. If you don't have your notebook with you, you can look on with somebody next to you. And let's walk through those um, your six disciplines and build. We're calling the men of Grace Bible Church out um, to gather together, to unite our lives together um, so that we might um, gather around these spiritual leadership disciplines in the church. Um, and they start with um, the heart, number one. So if you look on your back of your notebook, you see number one, discipline one, the heart, is it's all about you shepherding your heart closer to God in His Word, right? Um, you, you come to the Word of God knowing it's where He has revealed Himself most clearly. I think we've, I'll use this, um, I'll use this illustration many times this year, but if, if um, you were far away from one that you loved dearly and the only way, the best way that you could have that one whom you are separated from was through written letters, um, you would go back to those letters over and over because that's the clearest that you can have of them in writing. Um, and that's what God has done for us in His Word. He has, for some reason, in His infinite wisdom and holiness, determined that um, the way that He desires human beings that He redeems to seek Him is through His Word. Now, there will come a day, if you were there last Sunday night, um, where we won't need the lamp in the darkness anymore. Okay? He will come Himself. Jesus Himself will come and He'll replace the lamp and we won't need His Word. We'll, we'll just go to Him. But in His wisdom, it brings Him glory right now to have us in a place, to have you in a place where the way that He wants you to come get Him is through His Word. See, that changes everything why you read. You don't read because somebody's going to ask you if you read. Checked off the box. You don't read because you've got to prepare for Bible study. You don't read primarily to win a theological argument tomorrow at work or Monday at work. Um, you read because the one that loves you made you to love him, and the way you find him in his greatest clarity is through his word. And so it's a, it's a pursuit of love for Christ. It's a pursuit of love. It's a pursuit of enjoyment of him, to come to him in his word. You be that kind of man you put yourself on that path and you start walking that path for the rest of your life. You'll never graduate from this. You'll never do this perfectly. There will always be something new for you to discover in this. You become that kind of a man. And I tell you what, there's no limit on how God would use you. You not be that kind of man. Play leapfrog over that. Um, that's scary. Um, you need to be a man who's full of God in his word and step into the lives of other people. And that second discipline is all about whose lives do you step into first? You step into the lives of those in your household, right? 
make um, make yourself now in the practice of caring for the people in your home, yeah, even if you're not married yet. Care for the care for the roommates. Care for the other people that you live with in your home, because you're going to be doing that the rest of your life, especially if you get married and you get that forever roommate. Um, you've got to. Uh, be in a, in a practice where the, the, the people you want to impact most and first of all are the people that you live with. When people come into your home, um, they need to sense that there's you're a man and, and there's an aroma of God's word coming off of you. It's everywhere in your house. Everybody's house has its own smell, right? You need to have a spiritual smell in your home that is the word of God and the crown jewel of the word of God, which is the gospel. Okay? You're a man of that. That doesn't mean you have to have plaques on the wall that have verses and things like that and Bibles and spiritual books sitting out everywhere. I'm not saying don't do that, but, but we're talking about something much more than that, right? That you're just a man of God's word, right? You want to impact those people first. And then when, as you're uh, impacting those people, discipline three, now you, you also step into the lives of people in the church and beyond the walls of the church. And you and you step into their lives with the gospel primarily, right? You're you're coming to them to bring the gospel to bear on their lives. And and here's what's important about this sequence, okay? And again, we've talked about this. You don't graduate from discipline one and then never go back to it like second grade. As soon as you do second grade right, then you don't go back to it, right? No, you're always working on one, two, and three. Discipline one, two, and three. You're always working on it. But you work on it in a priority. Don't play leapfrog over your heart because then you're just going to be a troublemaker for your household. And don't leapfrog over your heart and don't leapfrog over your family just to get to people outside your home. Because now you're not even a man of, who has integrity because people are going to find you to be one thing out there, especially in ministry. Men, men do this. Men are eager to get to, oh, man, I'll lead Bible study. I'll teach this. I'll, I'll help me, you know, Give me the opportunity to do this and that. And the first question that we want to ask is, okay, well, what's your time with the Word of God like for you? And tell me who you live with. How are they being impacted by the Word of God? Because guys who leapfrog over that just to do ministry with people are actually hypocrites because they're they're showing great care and and desire to, to bring God's Word to bear on other people, but they're not even bringing it to bear on their own heart or people they live with. So that's why you, you march, you want to get to people. You want to get to the body of Christ. You want to get to people outside of the body of Christ. But the way you get to them is everything. You go through your own heart with God's word, through your household, and then you go get them. Right? And that's just the pattern of your life. Discipline one, two, and three. Right? Discipline four is about um, us intentionally setting before you deacon qualifications and elder qualifications. First Timothy 3 and Titus 1. You need to become men who will aspire to these um, qualifications. How does a man become a, a deacon? How does a man become a shepherd, elder, pastor in the church? Just just happens, right? I mean, just one day a guy wakes up and he and he didn't even know it, but all of a sudden he's an elder. It just it just happens, right? Oh, really? <laughs> All that work, all that, all that work for nothing. You could have just woke up and it just happened. No, guys, if if you're not a man who's thinking about those qualifications and you're humbly pursuing God, saying, God, would you make me into whatever you want me to be? If you're not doing that, then I don't think you should expect to become that. And 
your elders that you have in your church now, someday we're not going to be here. We're going to die. We're going to move on. Okay? Who's going to step in? Um, we're doing this kind of thing intentionally as elders because we want to put that in front of you, but you need to put it in front of you. And you may be thinking, ah, Deacon, that's, Elder, that's, that's for other guys. Well, aspire to it. Put your life in God's hands and say, God, you do with me whatever you want. And I'll set these qualifications in front of me and you do whatever you want. Okay, you pursue those. Discipline five is on the hermeneutic. How do we want to interpret the Bible? Primarily, here's the phrase that you want to ingrain in your brain. Read it forward. Read it forward. Left to right. Left to right, read it forward. Interpret your Bible from left to right. Um, read the Bible in a forward way. Start with the Old Testament, and we'll, we'll model this today for you um, as we go through this. We'll have a lot more to say about that at the end of the year. And then your last discipline is you're at, you're at Grace Bible Church, you're not at another church, and so we want you to know what the vision and the purpose of Grace Bible Church is all about. We want to set before us um, in our vision um, a triune God, the glory of God the Father in the cross of the Son, Jesus um, and the transformation of life by the Holy Spirit that he brings. So we want to put that in our sights all the time. That's our vision. Okay? But that doesn't lead you to sit back and do nothing. That makes you become very active in a gospel purpose. A purpose. And it's a gospel purpose. And what that looks like is you're drawing people in with the gospel. You're building one another up in the gospel. And you're being sent out for the gospel. And those three things are going on all the time while you're setting your sight on the three beings of, of the Godhead. Okay? That's what Build is all about. We want to set that in front of you. We're calling the men of the church. Hey, let's, if we're going to rally around anything, let's, it's not going to be paintball. It's not going to be uh, camping together. Uh, love to do that stuff. That's fun too. But, but it's got to be this. This is biblical manhood 101. Right? This is what it means to be a biblical man. These kinds of things. All right, so there's your reminder of what BUILD is. Your primary homework for the year in BUILD is that you would select a, if you don't have one already, would be that you would select a reading plan to get you through the Bible in a year. Um, we are not Nazis about that. Um, if you're on your own plan and it's, uh, and it's working well for you, just stay with what you got. Um, and we have four, I think there's four different plans in your notebook. It's at the last, it's like the, one of the last pages of your first section on the heart. Um, so right before Discipline 2 tab, if you look in your notebook, there are several different reading plans. If you don't have one, we want you to pick one by October 1. Okay? And you can start reading then. You can start today if you want, if you haven't. Uh, don't wait till October 1 necessarily, but, but at the latest, start at October 1. Okay? Um, if you have any questions about what you're reading or if you've got something a little bit different than a read through the Bible in a year plan um, and you want to talk about, is that, is that acceptable? Of course, we'll talk about that and we, just, we want to be flexible with that. Um, but, but I think if you haven't read through the Bible, I think you need to, your elders want you to do that. Because God has revealed himself, not just in the New Testament or in your five favorite books that you read over and over and over and over and over. Okay? Um, you need to read books like Ezekiel. You need to read books like Deuteronomy. You need to read Leviticus. And you need to be watching for what God is revealing about himself. Okay? And what he's revealing in regards to our need for a Savior. Okay? So uh, you'll need to pick one of those by uh, October 1, one of those reading plans, or have your own. 
Uh, and then your other homework that you have is, is really actually pretty easygoing homework. I think you'll find that it won't take you too much time. And that's like your blue sheet you got today. All right. With that in mind, let's go into um, small groups. And let's see. Let's do 45 minutes. Okay, so we'll say basically we'll be back here at 8 o'clock. Now, here's what we're going to do. You're going to need to use your small group list. Today you got one. Um, Scott, let's have your group just stay here. You'll need some more chairs over there. So if you're in Scott Demarest's small group, you're going to be over there. Um, let's see. Let's take my group, Scott Maxwell's group. We're going to go down the hall and take a right towards the, down the main hall. We'll take the, like the first door on the right, okay? And then, let's see, Jacob and Omri, why don't you guys take the, the door right across the hall over here? And then who's, whoever the other group is, Tom's and whoever else, you'll take the, the door right next, right across the hall, okay? All right, so get there, get going, and come back at, nine, at 8 o'clock, and uh, we'll pick up then. All right, let's talk about um, your... Um, your handout that you got today. Let's go ahead and take your handout, your worksheet. It's called D1, The Heart, A Biblical Survey of the Heart. And we're going to start talking about what is the heart first. Before we do that, I want to pray just again briefly because uh, we're, we're opening God's Word. We're going to be looking at many different passages and just don't want to assume that, oh yeah, we'll understand everything we read. We need help. Um, we're needy guys. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do pray that you would meet with us and that you would um, open our eyes and, so that they can behold wonderful things in your law. Um, pray that you would shine the light of your Spirit's illumination on to your word and into our hearts so that we can understand what you have written, what you have revealed about yourself. And, and in particular, Lord, this morning we want to really think about um, what you have revealed about um, our heart's condition. So, Lord, we draw near to you now. We ask for help in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, we're going to talk about what is the heart. Um, let's talk about it from the Old Testament. How does the Old Testament portray your heart? This is in number one. Um, let me just give you some uh, a basic idea, the Old Testament idea of the heart. It's this. It is man with all of his urges. That's the Old Testament idea of the heart. The Hebrew word for that is, is the word lev. Um, and it means man with all of his urges. It's the person in totality in the Old Testament. So when you see in the Old Testament the word heart, it's not referring to a part of you. It's referring to you. But you and all of your urges, in all of your desires, everything you are. It's a comprehensive term for who you are as a whole, but inwardly speaking, it is you inwardly speaking, okay? So it's you with all of your urges, but it's you inwardly speaking. Does that make sense? Inwardly speaking. Um, and it is the place, if you can call it the place, that's where God meets you in the Old Testament, um, as God is writing about the heart in the Old Testament, he's saying that's the place where I meet man, the heart, his inner man. God meets him there either as Savior or he meets him there as judge, right? Um, the heart is the center of your 
uh, emotions, your feelings, your thinking, your will, uh, all of that is who you are in the Old Testament. Okay, so again, the worst thing you could think of is that it's a part of you. Like your beating heart is a part of you. You don't want to think of the heart in the Old Testament that way. Let's talk about the heart in the New Testament in number one. In the New Testament, it's more of the same. It's simply you. In fact, I want to show you one of the best passages, I think, that helps you understand what the heart is. I want you to look at 1 Peter chapter 3. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 4. Um, Peter's writing actually to, um, talking about the women that he's writing to, but it's true for all people. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 4. Back in verse 3, he says, Ladies, your adornment must not be merely external, braiding the hair and wearing gold jewelry or putting on dresses, but, verse 4, let it be the hidden person of the heart. You see, he's talking about who the woman is in totality, but at the heart level. Okay? Let it be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit which is precious in the sight of God. So in the New Testament, the heart is more of the same. It's simply you. But it's you inwardly speaking. Okay? It's the inner life. It's the center of all of your personality, of who you are. And it is the place where God reveals himself to you first and foremost. It's you inwardly speaking. Um, there's overlap between in the New Testament and in the Old Testament as well. There's overlap between the heart and the mind. So like in the Old Testament, in Deuteronomy 6, when God says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, and all your strength, he's not saying, look, I just cut you into four pieces. Now go find those four pieces of who you are, gather up all that you can of those four pieces, and love me with those four pieces. What is he saying? I'm going to talk about you in regards to your heart. Love me. Let me talk about you in regards to your strength. Love me with your strength. I'm going to talk about you in regards to your mind. You're a thinker. Love me as a thinker. Okay, as a meditator, as a contemplator, love me, and so forth. Okay? So there's overlap between the mind and the heart. There's also overlap between the heart, the mind, and the soul. Um, all those are in, in, at different times can be synonyms together. Um, uh, and, and again, because corruption... Um, stems from the heart. Um, that is where God is interested in doing his renewal work first, is at the inner you. Okay, God isn't interested in external things on the outside. Uh, he's going to go to work first on the inside, the inner you. There's an inner man, there's an outer man. Okay, um, Conversion takes place in the inner man. And thus it affects the whole man. Okay, so how do we summarize what is the heart? The heart is another way of referring to who you are in your totality. Okay? The heart is you. Say, the heart is me. I, that's me. I'm the heart. The heart is me. The heart is where God meets us, either as judge and savior and we understand this because sometimes we will say something and it'll be misunderstood, or, um, and we'll say, "Oh, but, but if you only knew what I meant," uh, we'll say stuff like, "If you only knew who I w- was inwardly, if if you only knew what I meant in, inside, 
we recognize that there's this inner me that uh, exists. And that's the idea of the heart. It's me inwardly speaking before God. Okay? You got that? That's really important as we jump into uh, number two and following. So now, what can be said of the human heart from Scripture? I'm going to take you to four different passages. We could take you to 400 different passages. But let's start out in Psalm 40. And we're going to move quickly. So I may start off in the psalm or the passage before you get there. Uh, That's okay. Just get there as fast as you can. I really encourage you to take time on your own after this, uh, after our time together this morning, uh, just to, to investigate this more and more on your own. Psalm 40, verses 11 and 12, David is speaking and he says, You, O Lord, will not withhold your compassion from me. Your loving kindness and your truth will continually preserve me. Why? Well, evils, verse 12, beyond number have surrounded me. My iniquities have overtaken me so that I am not able to see. They are more numerous than the hairs of my head. And here it is, my heart has failed me. Here's the first thing uh, scripture reveals about the human heart. It's a heart that fails man. What can be said of, of the human heart from scripture? It is here first, a heart that fails me. It's an inward me that fails me. And my inward self has failed me. That's what he's saying. Do you understand that? He's not saying I have this piece of me that ruined me. He says, me inwardly ruined me. Okay? And I like how he starts verse in verse 12. Evils um, beyond number have surrounded me. I'm okay with that because there's evil outside me and it surrounded me. Okay? I'm, I'm okay with that. But look what he says next. Here's what I mean. Actually, my iniquities have overtaken me. Oh, gone it. It's my iniquities that are what have surrounded me and overtaken me. Overtaken me so much so that I can't even see. I am so overwhelmed by my own sin, I can't even see. My sin, they are more numerous than the hairs of my head. I ruined me. Okay, now what I want you to notice what we're going to do here at each one of these uh, points, like in number two, is we're going to go from left in our Bible to the right. So we're going to be modeling the hermeneutic that we're talking about in Discipline 5. Read it forward. So we're going to take our Old Testament passages first, and then we're going to walk forward through the New Testament. Go to Proverbs chapter 20, verse 9. All right, so the first thing that can be said about the human heart from Scripture is this. It is a heart that fails man. Well, let's go to Proverbs 20, verse 9, and see what we can find out. Solomon there says, Who can say... I have cleansed my inward self, my inward me. Who can say that? Who can say, I am pure from my sin? And the answer to that is no one. So what does this say? What can be said of the human heart from Scripture, from Proverbs 29? It is this, a heart, it is a heart beyond man's cleansing. It is a heart that is beyond my ability to cleanse it. I can't purify it. The stain of sin and the stain of my impurity has been so powerfully set in my inward self that I cannot of myself cleanse myself there. You understand that? And there are no exceptions to this. Who can say this? Nobody. Thirdly, let's go to Matthew 15. Move to what Jesus taught his disciples as they came up against the Pharisees and There was all kinds of uh, 
challenges that face the disciples about, well, do the things that defile a man, are they, are they the, the religious uh, or irreligious activities that take place on the outside? Uh, look at verses 18 to 20 in particular. Jesus is teaching his disciples about this. He says, the things that proceed out of the mouth come from the inward man, the heart. And those are what defile the man. For out of the inner man, out of the inner me comes evil thoughts. And uh, this is so, we, we looked at this last time. This is devastating. I mean, this isn't like one or two things that came to his mind. This is a devastating list. Look at it. For out of the inner me comes evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, slanders. These are the things which defile the man. But to eat with unwashed hands does not defile the man. Okay, what does this say about the human heart? It is the source of man's defilement. My inner self is the source of my own defilement. My, my heart is a fountain of impurity and sin that defiles me. My inner self is, is that. Let's look at one more. Romans chapter 1. Very familiar passage, right? Romans 1. Right out of the gates, Paul says some of the most powerful words about the condition of man ever written. Romans 1, verse 21. He says, for even though they knew God, describing man, they did not honor him as God. Look, does man know God in his sinful condition? Does he know who he is? Yes. Yes and no. But this is yes. He doesn't know him in a saving way. He doesn't know him as he should, but does he know him? He knows there's a God. Because it says, even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God. That's the problem. Man knows God, but doesn't have any desire to honor him as God. Or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their speculations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Wow, do you need proof of the foolishness of the heart? Um, of the inner man it's even though we know something of God from creation inwardly speaking we have no intent to honor him as God even though we know that inwardly speaking we have no desire to do anything with it except dishonor him so what can we learn about the human heart here um, from Romans 121 it is a foolish heart that invites greater spiritual darkness it is a foolish heart that invites greater spiritual darkness the foolish heart was darkened, spiritually speaking. All right, so that's what can be said of the human heart from Scripture. That's just four passages. It's a heart that fails me. It's a heart that's beyond my ability to cleanse it. In fact, my inward self is my source of defilement, and my foolish inward self just invites greater spiritual darkness. That's me at the inner man level in Scripture. Number three. Is the heart alert to this? Does my inner self know this about itself? Here's the answer. It's deceived. My inward self is deceived about what I am. Let's go back to Deuteronomy 11. Going back to the left, and we're going to make our way to the right. Deuteronomy 11, verse 13 to 17. Uh, Moses is on the plains of Moab with Israel. It's at the end of the 40 years of wandering in the wilderness. They're about to go into the promised land. And so one more time, he's instructing them. Deuteronomy means the second law. This is like the second giving of the law to them. 
Okay, so this is what he says. It shall come about, verse 13, if you listen obediently to my commandments, which I'm commanding you today, to love the Lord your God and to serve him with all your inward self and all your inward self, the heart and soul, that he will give you the rain for your land in its seasons and the early and late rain that you may gather in your grain and your new wine and your oil and he will give grass in your fields for your cattle and you will eat and you will be satisfied. That is the American way of life. That is just abundant blessing. It's, you can have it all. They had it first. And look what he says in verse 16. This is what Moses says to Israel. Beware. Wait a minute, time out. When you put abundance before people, you don't say to them next, watch out! Unless there's something wrong with who they are inwardly. Beware that your inward self is not deceived and that you do not turn away and serve other gods and worship them. Oh my goodness, is the heart alert to this? Here, write this down. The heart is easily deceived even when surrounded by blessing. My heart is easily deceived even when it's surrounded by the best. My heart is easily deceived even when I'm surrounded by blessing. Look, put me in the best environment. Give me the best salary. Take away all of my troubles and all of my sorrows and I will have something to be very much watchful of in that place. It's me, inwardly speaking. The heart is prone to deception, even in the face of obedience and blessing. Look, that's, there, there's never a time to not be watching your, your inward self, your inner man. In the best of environments, in the best comforts, in the best abundances, the, the heart is something for you to, in all honesty, be suspicious about. It just is. Go to Jeremiah 17.9. You know this passage. Uh, Jeremiah 17, verse 9. We're going to look at it twice this morning just because it's that good. Jeremiah 17, 9. Is the heart alert to its devastating condition? No, I mean, look, you get into the best blessing and, and you're going to walk away from God. He's talking about idolatry in Deuteronomy. You've got everything you need. I'll, I'll get, and, and God's the one who gave it all. Every blessing they have has God's fingerprints all over it, and then they, they, they wander away at the inner man level and worship idols. Jeremiah 17.9. The heart or the inner man is more deceitful than all else. Wow. And is desperately sick. Who can understand it? Implied answer? Nobody. Except one. We'll come back to verse 10 next time when we come back. The inner man is more deceitful than all else. Okay, here's what you do. Uh, you make a list of, go, go throughout the whole world. Search over, scour the land of, in, the, in the oceans of the, of the world. Scour every place you can looking for what is deceitful. Take a piece of paper with you and write down every time you find something deceitful someplace on the planet. Oh, that's deceitful. Make a long list of, of everything that is deceitful. And then when you are all done with that, just move it all down one and up at the top, write my heart. Because the heart is more deceitful than all else. Okay, so let me just save you time. You don't have to go scour the world. There's only one thing you need to put on your list. <laughs> it's your heart. Who you are inwardly will deceive you. You can't understand you. 
Okay? And all you have to do is just go back to the first four. That's because my inward self failed me. It's because um, my, my own inward self is beyond my ability to cleanse it. In fact, my inward self is the source of all of my defilement. And my foolish heart only invites greater spiritual darkness. So, of course, I, how can I see what I am accurately at, at my inward self level? Okay? Let's go to Romans 16. Working from left to right in our Bible. Romans 16, verse 17. Paul is finishing out his letter to the Romans, and he says this in verse 17. Now I urge you, brethren, keep your eye on those who cause dissensions and hindrances contrary to the teaching which you learned, and turn away from them. Why? Well, because such men are slaves, but not of our Lord Christ, but they are slaves of their own appetites, their own bellies, their own urges. And by their smooth and flattering speech, they deceive the hearts of the unsuspecting. They deceive the inward man of those who are unsuspecting. Okay, so get this. Here's this. Oh, I didn't give you anything on Jeremiah 17.9 to write, did I? I'm sorry. On Jeremiah 17.9, write this. The heart is an excellent deceiver. My inner man is an excellent deceiver. That's for Jeremiah 17.9. The heart is an excellent deceiver, or my inner man is a, an excellent deceiver. For, for Romans 16, this is what you, heart, you write. Um, the heart can be deceived by others. So my heart is in a condition that if it becomes unsuspecting, it can be deceived. If we're unsuspecting of troublemakers in the church, if we're naive to them, our hearts can easily be deceived. This is not good, Right? Surrounded by the best blessing, the heart can deceive you. The heart itself is an excellent deceiver. Put it above at the top of a list of all deceivers. It can, this heart can even be deceived by others. Go to James 1. James 1, verse 26. Talking about what true religion is. If anyone thinks himself to be religious and yet does not bridle his tongue but deceives his own heart, this man's religion is worthless. You think yourself to be religious but you can't control what you say. You're actually deceiving your inner man and your religion is worthless. Okay? Um, So look, we can even deceive our inner heart. Man, um, what, what can you write? We can deceive our own hearts. We can deceive our own hearts. All right, so, yeah. Uh, it seems that bridling the tongue and deceiving the heart are uh, the two contrary ideas. Then? Two contrary ideas? Not contrary, that's not the right one. Complimentary? The two ways of saying not controlling my tongue and deceiving my inner inner self are they the same in the same trajectory are they parallel what do you I don't want to put words instead of, instead of, uh, your tongue, you oh in contrast yeah it's a it's a it's a funny way of using the word but it's not to say this is right or wrong and this is the opposite of it it's, it's a way of using the but to, to say if you're 
doing this, but that, um, it, it, they're both the same idea that go with each other. So number three, is the heart alert to this devastating condition it's in? The answer to that is, how on earth could it possibly be? Um, when it's surrounded by and filled with deception. I mean, you can even put the heart in its best environment and the heart is still going to be something you have to watch so that it doesn't deceive you. All right, this is not good news, right? What can be said of the human heart? Well, we, we looked at that, number two. Number three, what, is the heart even alert to this? Well, let's, let's go to number four and look at, um, let's do Matthew 5, uh, 22 on this one. What is the highest calling of the human heart? You know this, right? You're not going to believe what God says next. You're not going to believe this. You know this, that the Pharisees heard that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees and they gathered themselves together and one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question, verse 35, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And he said to them, it's this one, You shall love the Lord your God with all your inner man, with all that you are inwardly, this is great, and the, the great and foremost commandment, and there's another one like it, love your neighbor as well. Okay, so l- let, me, let me get this straight. My heart has failed me. Who I am inwardly has failed. Who I am inwardly is beyond my cleansing, and who I am inwardly is the source of all of my defilement, and um, the foolishness of my inward man only invites greater spiritual darkness and my inner man is deceived when it's even at its best and it's an excellent deceiver above all others and my inward self can even be deceived by other people and it's where God is going to meet me as either judge and savior and he says from that inner self in that condition love me with everything. That's not good. He's going to meet me as judge. Because I don't even want to admit that he's there from my inner self. It's that inner man that's supposed to love God. That's the highest calling of the inner man. It might make you tempted to ask God the question, God, do you know what you're asking Do you know what you're asking me to do? So, number five, does God see this whole predicament? Now, we're not going to look at every single one of these. Um, I'll just point out, I don't know, four. Let's let's look at four of them. How about, let's go to 1 Kings 8. I really encourage you to go back and you you look up every single one of these and see what they have to say about the heart. I'm, I'm only cutting some of them out just for the sake of time. 1 Kings 8. You know what's going on in 1 Kings 8, right? Um, Solomon is dedicating the temple. He's praying. And this is a portion of his prayer. 1 Kings 8, verse 37. First Kings 8, verse 37. Solomon prays, If there is famine in the land, if there is pestilence, if there is blight or mildew, locust or grasshopper, If their enemy besieges them in the land of their cities, whatever plague, whatever sickness there is, whatever prayer or supplication is made by any man or by all your people Israel, each knowing the affliction of his own heart and spreading his hands toward this place. Here we go. Verse 39. Then here in heaven, your dwelling place. By the way, he's in the temple. (laughs) 
And God's supposed to dwell in the temple, right? But he, what does Solomon really know? You can't build a house for God. So he's saying, Hear in your, from heaven in your dwelling place, and forgive and act and render to each according to all his ways, whose heart you know. For you alone know the hearts of all the sons of men, that they may fear you all the days that they live in the land in which you have given to our fathers. So who knows, does God see this whole predicament that's going on in the heart? Well, let's see here. You know the inner man. You alone know the inner man of all of the sons of men. Yeah, God sees this devastating condition and he sees the deception of my own heart. He sees it. He knows that what he has asked of me there, he sees it all. How about Proverbs 24? Proverbs 24, verse 11. Wisdom from Solomon. We go from Solomon's prayer to Solomon's wisdom in Proverbs 24, verse 11. He says, Deliver those who are being taken away to death and those who are staggering to slaughter. Oh, hold them back. If you would say, when you you see all that going on, Oh, we did not know this. Does not God consider it who weighs the hearts? And does he not know it who keeps your soul? And will he not render to man according to his work? So God is the one who weighs for evaluation the the inner man. Okay. So not only does God weigh, though, the inner man in his scales of discernment, but he's weighing it, according to verse 12, in order to render to the man according to his work. This is, a, this is a problem. Not only does he see it, but he's not seeing it and sitting back and doing nothing. He's seeing it. He's weighing the inner man to render to man what he deserves for what he's done. Now, this is not good news. Go to Jeremiah 17. We'll look at verses 9 and 10 again. Jeremiah 17, 9 and 10. You know verse 9. The heart is more deceitful than all else and is desperately sick. Who can understand it? And the answer is nobody. And then there's verse 10. I, the Lord, search the heart. I test the mind. Now, is God saying, look, I'm going to find this, I'm going to locate this one piece of you over here, it's the heart. And then I'm going to locate this other piece of you over here, it's your mind. And I search both of these pieces of you. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, I'm going to speak of you as if you are in a heart, an inner man. I'm going to speak to you as if you are mind. Both the same. He says, I, the Lord, search the heart. I test the mind. Why? Even to give to each man according to his ways, according to the results of his deeds. My daughter came home from school on Thursday, and she was so disappointed because she was in her um, social studies class. My daughter doesn't my daughter doesn't speak hardly any words. And I know she doesn't talk in class. And the class was acting up. And as they were leaving the class, the teacher was so fed up that she gave them this brutal assignment um, as they all left. So corporately, the whole class gets this punishment as they go out the door. And she, was, she just thought, that is so unfair. And so we got to talk about all of that. But listen, that's not what's being said here. This is not a corporate pouring out of judgment. Look what he says. I test the mind. I search the heart to give to each man. 
when God is going to um, do his judgment, it's one at a time. Now you in front of me. I searched your inner man. And I tested who you are as a, as a thinker, a contemplator. And here's what I have for you on the basis of your deeds you did from that heart and that mind. One at a time, God deals with man. Let's go to 1 Corinthians 4. 1 Corinthians 4. Do you, do you see the terrifying corner we just turned? Does God see this? Oh yeah, he sees it. And he sees it because he's going to deal with it. and He's going to judge it. 1 Corinthians 4, verses... Look at verse 4. Saul is... Or Saul. He used to be Saul. I, I'm, I'm used to calling him Saul because we're going to talk about the life of Paul tomorrow. Um... Paul is being evaluated by the Corinthians in all of the wrong ways. Um, they have listened to the, the false apostles and their faulty views of Paul, and so they're assessing Paul in all of the wrong ways. And he says in verse 4, I'm conscious of nothing against myself, yet I am not by this acquitted, even though I can't see... You know what Paul's acknowledging here? What's Paul acknowledging? I don't understand everything about myself. But even though I can't see something that's wrong, doesn't mean that I'm acquitted. The one who examines me is the Lord. Verse 5, Therefore do not go on passing judgment before the time, but wait until the Lord comes, who will both bring to light the things hidden in the darkness and disclose the motives of men's hearts. And then each man's praise will come to him from God. So there's the idea of one at a time, one man by one man by one man. And look, God, he knows he will be the one to reveal the motives of, of my inner man, of your inner man. And then either comes judgment or, or praise for the man. So, not only does God see the whole predicament that my inner man, that your heart is in, but he actually searches the inner man for the purpose of paying back. Wow. Okay, so, do you, do you understand this, guys? Um, the heart is in this devastating condition, but it doesn't even know. Who you are inwardly is not even aware of your devastating condition. And God calls you in that devastating condition to love him above all other things. And then you ask yourself, does he know this? Does he know what he's asking of me? I mean, he puts this thing so high for me that I'm down here in the mud. Does he know this? Yeah, he knows it and he's going to judge each man for it. So then what's the greatest need? Two parts to this, guys. There's two parts to this I want you to get. Um, part one is God calls man to do something about his own heart. Did you know that? God calls you to do something about your own heart. That's part one. The good news comes at part two. Part two, God promises to do for man what man cannot do for his own heart. Okay? Let's start with part one. God calls man to do something about his own heart. Let's go back to Jeremiah 4. We won't look at all of these, but um, go back to Jeremiah 4. Find those crispy white pages in your Bible. Unless you're on an iPad. 
See, the iPad takes away all that guilt. <laughs> Bless the Lord. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Jeremiah four. Uh, let, let's let's um let's let's back up verse three. For thus says the Lord to the men of Judah and to Jerusalem, Break up your fallow ground and do not sow among thorns. Now he's not going to be speaking about farming. Look what he says in verse four: Circumcise yourselves to the Lord. What are you supposed to circumcise to the Lord? You, yourself. Circumcise yourself. And remove the foreskins of your inner man. Men of Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem, or else my wrath will go forth like fire and burn with none to quench it because of the evil of your deeds. Listen, circumcision is a significant surgical procedure. And he is saying at the inward man level, there needs to be the radical removal of all that is wrong with the inner man or else judgment comes. That's what he's saying. A radical removal of all that is wrong with you at the inner man level. Circumcise your inner man. That's what he commands Judah to do. Look at verse 14. Look what else he says to him. Wash your heart from evil, O Jerusalem. Wait a minute. Time out. I know what he said about that in Proverbs. You can't wash yourself. And he says, wash yourself. That you may be saved. How long will your wicked thoughts lodge within you? Wash your inner man. This is not good. Go to Ezekiel 18. So you go to Jeremiah, right? You go through Lamentations and you're into Ezekiel. Ezekiel 18, verse 30. Yeah, from one set of crispy white pages to even crispier white pages. <laughs> Uh, Verse 30 of Ezekiel 18. Therefore I will judge you, O house of Israel, each according to his conduct, declares the Lord God. Repent and turn away from all your transgressions so that your iniquity may not become a stumbling block to you. Cast away from uh, from you all your transgressions which you have committed and make yourselves a new heart and a new spirit. Make yourself a new inner man. For why will you die, O house of Israel? In other words, if you don't do this, you're going to what? You're going to die. For I have no pleasure in the death of anyone who dies, declares the Lord God. Therefore, repent and live. Go to Joel chapter 2. Keep making your way to the right. Past Daniel, then you're into Hosea, and then Joel next, right? Joel 2, verse 12. All right, so... Reminding ourselves, uh, radical inward removal of all that is wrong within me at the inner man level. That was Jeremiah. Wash myself at the inner man level. Ezekiel, make a new me, inwardly speaking. Joel 2, verse 12. Yet even now, declares the Lord, he's speaking to Israel, return to me with all your heart and with fasting, weeping and mourning. And rend or tear your heart, not your garments. Now return to the Lord your God. Look at this. What what did they used to do when they were deeply mourning? They would take their clothes and and they would literally from the bottom up tear. And it was a sign of of shame and that they were just broken. They 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 were weeping. 
And he says, that's external. I'm talking about who you are at the inner man level. You need to do that there. There needs to be a brokenness and a mourning at who you are in the inner man. Tear your heart. Why do you do this? Verse 13, because he is gracious and compassionate. He's slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness and relenting of evil. Who knows whether he will not turn and relent and leave a blessing behind him. The the whole reason you do this is based on the nature and the character of who God is. As a patient, patient God. Those are Joel's words to the Jews. Let's look at a New Testament passage. James 4, verse 8. James 4, verse 8. He's got some pretty stiff words for the believers he's writing to. And he says in verse 8, Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Purify your hearts. The Proverbs 20, verse 9 said, Who can say, I've cleansed my heart? So, what is the greatest need then? Look, if your heart is in this devastated condition and it is so deceived inwardly and outside it that it can't even see its condition that it's in, and God sets this high standard and says, love me with everything you are at the inner man level, and then he says, I'm actually going to judge you for your heart, um, and then he comes to you and he says, so here's what we've got to do to solve this problem. You need a new heart and you need to make it now. That there's no hope anywhere in any of that. Which is why we've got to go to part two. And this is where you find the promise of God um, to do for man what man himself cannot do for his own heart. Here's, here's where you find the gospel of grace running through like a, a, a thick bar of, of rebar through the, all of scripture from the Old Testament through into your New Testament that a God of grace does for man what man cannot do for himself. Let's go back to Deuteronomy verse chapter 30. Okay, Deuteronomy 30. Let's make another pass through God's word from left to right. Deuteronomy 30, verse 6. Good news. This is the old covenant that God was in with, uh, with Israel. Moreover, I can't even speak. Moreover, the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your seed or your descendants. Why will he do this? To love the Lord your God with all of your heart. Look, God already in the Old Covenant is saying to Israel, I'm going to do for you at the inner man level what you cannot do, but what must happen. It needs to happen for you. It needs to happen for your descendants. And it's also that they will be able to love me there from their inner man. The Old Covenant anticipated that the inner man uh, what the, anticipated what the inner man needed. And the Old Covenant anticipated that God would actually be the one to provide what the inner man needed someday. So from its earliest days, the Old Covenant uh, made Israel long for the day when God would do something with them at the inner man level that the Old Covenant itself could not do. God designed the Old Covenant to
to not be able to change the inner man. Okay? He designed the new covenant that the first thing it does is what? Change the inner man. A new heart. But the old covenant anticipated all of that. The old covenant made them feel greatly. I need something new at the inner man. I'm in trouble. The old covenant put the accent on that without providing in it a way to fix it. Because the old covenant said, keep my laws. And you can't keep the laws to make the heart new. To make the inner man new. Go to Psalm 51. Famous words from David. So here's a king that came under this old covenant. And he knew God's evaluation of his own heart after Bathsheba. And he knew that there was no way he was able to do something with his inner man. And so he cries out from the inner man in Psalm 51 verse 10, Create in me a clean heart and renew a steadfast spirit within me. David knew that he was... Look, how deceived was David... The whole thing that happened with, with, with Bathsheba, didn't. it's not like it happened in one 24-hour period. I mean, how long would it take for um, Bathsheba to find out that she was pregnant? How long would it take to go find the battlefield where Uriah was, send somebody there, and bring him back, and then that's a couple days. And then, I mean, everything he did, the murder... Um, how long was David deceived in his inner man? Over nine months because the baby was conceived. For quite a while. He was. He was under the deception of his own heart. It shouldn't be surprising to see here in Psalm 51.10 that he would cry out for somebody else to do for him at his inner man level something that he knows he can't do. Um, go to Jeremiah 31. Look, we're in some books that, that you may not have ever read before from beginning to end. Do you see what you're missing? Jeremiah? Ezekiel? Look, every book of the Bible is your favorite book of the Bible. Okay? The Jeremiah needs to become your favorite book of the Bible. And Ezekiel. Jeremiah 31, verse 31. Behold, days are coming, declares the Lord when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. It's not going to be like the old covenant, the covenant which I made with their fathers in the day when I took them out of, uh, by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant which they broke, although I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. But this is the covenant which I will make with the house of Israel after those days. I will put my law within them and on their inner man I will write it. And I will be their God and they shall be my people. They will not teach again, each man his neighbor and each man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, because they will all know me. From the least of them to the greatest of them, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity and their sin I will remember no more. There's the promise of the new covenant 
from the prophet Jeremiah to the house of Israel, which it has not yet experienced. Some Jews in it are experiencing something of an inauguration of it with us in the church, but the house of Israel and the, and the, the house of Judah have a glorious day ahead of them when this will happen. Um, and notice that this new covenant work of God, it, the focus is at the heart level. It does, God does in it at that level what the old covenant could never do. Go to Ezekiel 11. Remember you got to pass through Lamentations briefly and then right into Ezekiel 11. Ezekiel 11, let's go to verse 19. Eleven nineteen, And I will give them one heart and put a new spirit within them and I will take the heart of stone out of their flesh and give them a heart of flesh. That means not a fleshly sinful heart, that means a soft heart. The, the contrast here is between what is hard and what is soft. What is not teachable and, stu- and what is not stubborn to what is teachable and moldable, shapeable. Why will I give them this kind of a heart? That they may walk in my statutes and keep my ordinances and do them. Then they will be my people and I shall be their God. Um, Since we're in Ezekiel, go to Ezekiel 36. We'll see Ezekiel's um, equivalent of the new covenant. Ezekiel 36, verse 26. Um, verse 26 of Ezekiel 36 moreover I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you will be careful to observe my ordinances you will live in the land that I gave to your forefathers and you will be my people and I will be your God that's God's promise to Israel a new you inwardly speaking let's go to the New Testament go to Acts 2 Let's go to the day of Pentecost. Again, you see how we're moving from left to right? Taking the Bible as it was written. Acts 2, verse 36. Peter finishes up his sermon in verse 36 to the house of Israel. And he says, Let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Messiah, this Jesus whom you crucified. So, You took this man and you crucified him, but let me tell you how God looked at him. Uh, He made him Lord and Messiah. Uh, In other words, you guys are in about as... You can be at more at odds with God than you are. Verse 37. When they heard that, they were pierced to the heart. And they said to Peter, "What, what do we do? What do we do? The new covenant in Jesus' blood has been shed. And the new covenant has been inaugurated in an interesting way that they're going to discover here that involves the church. Something that no man could see. And and what happens to them? They find themselves at the inner man level being pierced. Feeling conviction. Go to Acts 15. Verse 6. Acts 15, verse 6. You know what happens? This is the council at Jerusalem. Um, Some Pharisees who have believed um, are causing some trouble. Um, 
they say it's necessary, verse 5, to circumcise the Gentiles and to direct them to observe the law of Moses. And the apostles and the elders came together to look at this matter, and after there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, Brethren, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you that by my mouth the Gentiles would hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, who knows the inner man, testified to them, giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he also did to us. And he made no distinction between us and them, cleansing their inner man by faith. Cleansing their hearts by faith. So here's what happens. Here's how you even get into the new covenant. You can't even walk into the new covenant apart from faith and cleansing of the inner man. Okay? In the old covenant, you could come into it as a Jew with an outward sign of circumcision and a commitment, these, these laws are my laws. But it doesn't mean your heart was changed. You can't even get into the new covenant without a heart change, a cleansing there. So, man is called to do something about the condition of his heart. And what does that do? Why does God do that? Why does God command sinners to do something about their hearts that they cannot do? That is to put the accent on culpability. You are responsible for what you have become. And I hold you responsible for it, God says. Do something about it. That does not hinder his process of then doing for the sinner what only he can do for the sinner. Because it makes the one that he is working in with his spirit say, I can't. Will you please do it for me? It makes you cry out to God. It makes you look away from yourself when you realize, when your eyes have been opened by the Spirit of God to see how devastated your heart is and how deceived you are at the inner level. All of a sudden, now your eyes are open to see that and God says, you're going to hold me accountable for this? Oh God, save me! You are done with yourself at that point. You aren't interested in putting on any religious garb, dressing up and looking the part and going to church and playing the fool. You're not interested in that anymore. You are done with you. And you cry out for God's grace in the gospel. Do for me what I can't do for myself. Change me at the inner man level. You see, this is the gospel. This is why Jesus shed his blood. To pay for all that you were responsible for, that you, you could never pay yourself, that you don't want to pay yourself, that many will pay an eternity in hell for. But he suffered in your place so that you, by his grace, could be made new at the inner man level. Ah, that's, that's good news. What a great God we serve. And I'll tell you, he paints the picture as a very, very dark one before the light comes. And then you have to run yourself through a process like that over and over. Take yourself back on a journey and just remember where you were in your darkness. And then step into the light of the gospel and marvel once again, every day, all of the time, look who I am. Look where I've come. And not because of me but because of my great God and my great Savior. Look what he did for me at the inner man level. Lastly, number seven. And this is what build is all about. This is what we're trying to get at. What is God's provision for your inner man that needs to be changed or that has been changed? All right, I'm going to run you through just a few. Let's go back to Deuteronomy 6. This is our last pass through the Bible this morning. Let's make it count. 
Deuteronomy 6. Shake off the sleepiness. Push one more time hard. Here we go. Deuteronomy 6, verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is... Um, um, the Lord is our God. The Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And look what his intention was all along. These words, these words, which I am commanding you today shall be on your inner man. God from the beginning, even in the old covenant, it was his intent that his word and your soul, your heart would be in a full contact sport. His word, your heart, in constant contact with his word. This is God's provision for your heart that desperately needs to be changed, that has been changed in the gospel, that you would have his word up against your inner man. All right, Ezra. Seven. Ezra is right before Nehemiah. And Ezra is right after 2 Chronicles. If you have an iPad, you just go to books. Look for EZR. Hit EZR. It works. It works. And someday when all technology bites the dust because we're at the end of the world and, and uh, there'll be somebody who had paper Bible and who will be able to help you find yours. <laughs> just kidding. I'm just jabbing. Ezra was a, a priest. And look what he knew. Watch this. Just because I can't hear your smart aleck comment at the end of the room doesn't mean that God doesn't hear it. <laughs> just kidding. Ezra knew what his heart needed. Look at this, verse 10. For Ezra had set his heart to study the law of the Lord. Here's the Old Testament version of shepherding your heart. God says, these words should be on your heart. The Old Testament priest said, I'll set my heart to study the law of the Lord, to practice it, to teach it. Set your heart to study it. I'm going to set my inner man to study God's word, to see it, to know it. Go to Psalm 119. Started there this morning. Let's return to Psalm 119, verse 11. Psalm 119, verse 11. Your word I have treasured in my inner man. That's what it means to shepherd your heart. You come there to treasure the word of God in your inner man. Why? God... What you have done for me in the gospel and take me from what I am was to what I am now, I don't want to sin against you anymore. And my only hope is if I treasure your word in my inner man. Your word I have treasured in my inner man that I may not sin against you. Verse 34. Give me understanding that I may observe your law and keep it with all my inner man. Verse 36. Incline my inner man towards your testimonies. And not to dishonest gain. God, I'm asking for help. Take my heart. You know what an incline is, right? You prop it up. If you had your inner man on an incline and you prop the incline up, what's it going to do? It's going to slide. Incline it to your testimonies. Incline my inner man so that it falls gravitationally by your gravitational pull towards your word. Incline it. Verse 111. 
I have inherited your testimonies forever, for they are the joy of my inner man. Guys, can you say that? Do you want to be able to say that? That God's word is the joy of of who I am at the core being of me. I've inclined my heart to perform your statutes. Verse 112. Proverbs chapter 6. This happens over and over in Proverbs, especially in the first nine chapters. Proverbs 6, verse 21. Bind these words continually on your heart. See, this is what your parenting is all about, too. Um, You're wanting to take the wisdom of God and bind it to the heart of your child. Have them bind it to the heart, to their inner man. Proverbs 7. My son, keep my words, treasure my commandments within you. Keep my commandments and live and my teaching as the apple of your eye. Bind them on your fingers, write them on the tablet of your heart. And you remember Jeremiah 31, God says that he will take his law and he will write it on their hearts, right? Let's go to the New Testament. Go to Luke chapter 8. I love this. This is so helpful to understand this parable of Jesus. Luke 8, verses 9 to 15. This is the parable of the sower and the different kinds of uh, uh, soils there are. And by the way, the point of the parable is that there is only two kinds of soil, not four. Two kinds of soil. There's a kind of soil that receives the word implanted and it bears much, much fruit. The other kind of soil is the human inner man that does nothing with it. It looks like something might happen sometimes, but nothing comes of it. Okay? And he says in verse 12, Those beside the road are those who have heard the word, and then the devil comes and takes away the word from their inner man. Now, wait a minute, just full time out. Does God's enemy know what God's plan is for your inner man? For your heart? Yes. He knows it so well that whenever the word gets scattered in preaching and sharing and evangelism and reading, the devil's there trying to pick it out and get it out of the heart. Get it away from that. Don't let the word touch the inner man. That's what's going on. The devil knows what God is up to. We need to know what God is up to. Um, How about verse 15? But the seed and the good soil, these are the ones who have heard the word in an honest and good heart and hold it fast and bear fruit with perseverance. And the first thing that a Jew should have asked Jesus at that point is, whoa, whoa, where do I get that heart? A good and honest heart? A good and honest inner man? Where does that come from? We know it's from crying out to God that I can't change myself there. I need something new. That heart bears fruit with the word of God. One um, more in Luke. Luke 24. Luke 24, verse 25. Resurrected Jesus is on the road to Emmaus with two of his disciples. And he said to them, you know, they, they couldn't, connect the dots of what just happened in the last three days. And he says, Oh foolish man, slow of heart. You're so slow in the inner man to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Your heart is in a condition of slowness to believe the word. Remember, I gave you that word so that it would be in a full contact sport with your heart, but your inner man is slow to believe it. Was it not necessary for the Christ to suffer these things and then enter into his glory? And then he walks through the Old Testament. Look at verse... um, 32. 
he goes and he sits and eats with them. As soon as he breaks bread, they recognize who he is and he disappears. And they say, were not our hearts burning within us when he was speaking to us on the road? Look, he was explaining the scriptures to us and our inner mans were on fire. The word of God in our inner man, it was being lit up. It's because that's the way risen Messiah desires it to be. One last, Hebrews 4, verse 12. You guys know this. Turn there, look at it. We'll have a whole two uh, two builds from now. We'll have a um, a whole lesson on Hebrews four here. For the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, and piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit of both joints and marrow. And the word of God is able to judge the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. What does your inner man need more than anything, even in this new condition? It's a mixed condition, right? Now listen, your inner man, remember when we had it drawn up on the board last time? Your inner man, that was only in one unmixed, deceived, devastated condition. Right? Completely deceived. Now you're in a new condition. It's mixed, which means that it can still be deceived, but what's different about this new man here, this inner man? This inner man has been given a capacity by God for God. To love him, to know him, to pursue him, to obey him. But that means you still have to watch over your heart. When will you be done watching over your inner man? When? When you die or when Jesus comes back. You won't have to worry about it then because it will all be good from the inside out. So right now, what do you need more than anything for your inner man? You need the word of God, which is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. It's able to pierce as far as the division of soul and spirit, both joints and marrow, and it's able to judge the thoughts and intentions that go on in your inner man. You need the Word of God. So, what is the whole point? What are we after with discipline one of build? If you understand this about who you are in Jesus Christ, what He has made you into, if you understand the nature of your inner man, you recognize that you need the Word of God more than you need anything else in this world. You need to bring your inner man into a full contact hit with God's word all of the time, all of the time, all of the time. Shepherd your inner man to the word of God in order to meet with this God of the word. Do you understand? All right. I want to show you one thing from your notebook. I want you to go to your um, discipline one uh, section on the heart, the very first one. And I want you to look in there. There's a page in there. Um, I think it might be towards the back. It says, um, I have it written down. Hold on. It says, D1, a biblical survey of the heart. That's it. Dustin, can you take that out for me? Open it up and talk and show it. It looks like this. It's just got two lists. Or... Um, Two columns of, of lists of scriptures. I'm going to make my appeal to you today for why you need to read through the um, Old Testament, through the whole Bible. Okay? Um, my One of my favorite five books of the Bible that I used to read was James. That was the book I went back to when I needed a kick in the pants. Because James gives you a kick in the pants, right? Um... I would read Romans frequently. Um, I loved First Peter when I first became a believer. Felt like I could really identify with 
that knucklehead who became a believer. Um, I don't know. Let me just pick a couple others. What other ones I used to read? How about I read First John one time, like just over and over every day. And how about Gospel of John? Let's say that I don't really know what to do with my Bible reading, and so these are the these are the five books that I just kind of always come back to over and over. Okay. Uh, James mentions the heart five times. It mentions the inner man five times. Romans mentions it 15 times. Um, 1 Peter mentions it three times, the inner man. 1 John mentions it four times. And John, the Gospel of John, mentions the inner man six times. Now, that doesn't mean that there aren't other places where the soul is being addressed or the mind and its equivalent. We're just talking about in the NAS, the New American Standard Version, this is the word for heart. What is this? 2033. And reading those same books over and over, I'm going to be exposed specifically to what God says about the inner man in regards to the word heart in the New Testament. Now, if you never read the book of Deuteronomy, look at Deuteronomy. How many times does the, is the word heart mentioned in Deuteronomy? 45 times. God addresses you in the book of Deuteronomy as a human being, and he's concerned about your inner man in Deuteronomy. Now, I know you're not Israel. I know you're not in the house of Jacob. I know that. That's not the point. You're looking at what God is revealing and what he's thinking about the inner man. Uh, Look at another Old Testament. The book of Jeremiah. 48 times. If you never read the Old Testament, God is you are limiting how much God can speak to you about your inner man and what you can know about him there. You don't want to do that. You need to be a man, and you want to be a man for the rest of your life, and you're cycling through the whole Bible. And it doesn't matter what it looks like. It doesn't have to be that you are rigidly um, restricting yourself. I only read the Bible once a year. You can't read any other way. We're not saying that. It may take you two years to read through the Bible. Praise God. If it takes you two years to read through the whole Bible, take two years. If it takes you five years, take five years. The point is, expose yourself consistently, repeatedly to the Word of God. Just in regards to your heart, you're going to find yourself being stunned by how often God speaks about the heart in the Old Testament. Okay? All right. Our time is up. Let me pray, and we'll stick around. If you have any questions or things you want to talk about, we can do that. All right? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for how you have addressed us at the inner man level in your word, Lord. We've been able to walk through your Bible from left to right several times this morning, Lord. How encouraging it is. Lord, my heart is is lifted up and full and enjoying the reminder of what you have done for me at the inner man level with your son Jesus in the gospel. Thank you so much for putting me into this new condition Thank you for the promise and the securing work that you did that I can never go back to the unmixed condition that I was before. Oh, I'm mixed now, and I know it, and I feel it. And oftentimes it is discouraging, but God, this is a much better place you have me than I ever was before. Lord, I pray that you would help us as men in the church to grow in this, to become more and more confident in what you have done in our hearts with the gospel. And then our response would be to seek you out in your word, 
to meet with you, to love you, to worship you, to enjoy you, to delight in you, to grow in our fear of you, to obey you. God, make us into the men that you desire us to be. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks, guys, for coming today. Appreciate you taking the time and sacrificing to be here. You guys are dismissed.